Leviticus 23 is sometimes referred to as God's calendar of redeeming grace or um, a calendar of divine redemption is what 23 is about. And you will see that as we go through the feasts of the Lord and we will hit on all these feasts. We've talked about these uh, feasts in back in Leviticus uh, in, in, in chapter 16 and the, the workings there at the temple or at the tabernacle of the, of the animals being slain for the sins of the people. And uh, we're going to see more, a little bit more specific of what the purpose of these feasts were. And then I'm also going to tie it into, obviously, the New Testament to who Jesus is because it speaks of who Jesus is. There are 44 verses basically in this, uh, this chapter and they basically tell of God's redemptive plan for the world he created. So if anyone says, well, God created the world, what was his plan? He has a redemptive plan. You should go through Leviticus. It will help you understand uh, what God was speaking to the people then, his people in the, uh, the wilderness, also going into the promised land and in speaking of Jesus Christ and for us. Why? Because these holidays or these feasts, this uh, Sabbath that is referenced here in this chapter, are just shadow of things to come that God says. And it was referenced in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And that's what the Old Testament was for. It was always a foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah. It was the foreshadowing of what God's plan is to save the not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. It was a, a plan that he had all along, and that he showed us in the shadows of what the Old Testament was, what would then live out in the New Testament, and of course, our days that we live in today, of course, the New Testament. There are three main lessons of the seven feasts that we will see tonight that you need to remember. It's all about God's protection, all about God's provision, and all about God's promise to his people, that is referring to you and I tonight. So the God's protection and provision and promises relate to you tonight. So make sure your ears are wide open here. In Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, he speaks to the, uh, the writer here of, of the Sabbath. And it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, so the Lord spoke directly to Moses. Moses then wrote this down with a scribe to make sure that you and I had it, not only for them then, for us tonight. Saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Convocations means congregations or assemblies. To the holy congregation, to the holy assembly, all my people, Moses, you're supposed to say these things. What things? That these are my feasts. That's something you should underline in your Bible. These are my feasts, the Lord says. These are not man's feasts. These are not an organization feasts. These are my feasts, God says. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. A holy convocation, you shall, you, shall do, you shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. 
So all your houses, this, you, you, this needs to be held up to and applied to. You need to have rest in the Lord in your dwellings. Don't be out there working, trying to make an extra dollar on a Sunday, or in this case on a Saturday, or the Sabbath for them. Don't be always looking, working seven days a week because you're really not understanding the time of rest that we have each day in our, with the Lord. But you really believe, I believe, really needs to set aside where there's all the things that you're busy with. It's really focused on getting together with the congregation, with God's people, with him. And even before and after church, let's say, just keep it simple. Keep it in the fellowship of God and the things about God. You'll be refreshed to go tackle six days more worth of work if that's what you're doing. Because the Feast of the Lord, this chapter introduces to us seven annual feasts that God instituted and Israel celebrated, which were intended to be these times and seasons to meet with God. That's what the Sabbath is, is to spend time with God. These feasts that are throughout the year and the times and different times and seasons of the year was to meet with God. And God said, that's why I want to, I know you can get very busy. And you can be really stressed out and trying to make a living and raise a family and have kids and all. You need to make sure this is built into your calendars as seasons and times. Because if you don't, it will be gobbled up. It will, you'll just go blowing right through them because you got a hangnail that is troubling you that day. you got a cat that needs to be washed that day. Whatever reason, excuse you can come up with because you don't feel like going and meeting with God. Because most people, believe it or not, when they come to church, they really don't believe that they're coming to meet with God. They're coming to think, oh, it's just church. That's the, that's the place we go and we get to meet certain people that I might want to talk to and stuff. Because I feel lonely and I'll go meet with them. And that's true. God can help meet those needs. But it's really when you come to church, like tonight, is to meet with God. You want to gather together with two or more gathered in his name. He is amongst us. While we worship, we learned just a few, you know, Sundays ago or maybe a few Wednesdays. God's with us in worshiping right alongside us as we're lifting our voices up in song. Do you know that? That God is right there with us as we lift our voices. He is with us. As we study his word, the Holy Spirit is moving. He's with us. And so we have to understand that he was telling his people, this is not negotiable. These are my feasts. This is my Sabbath. You must keep them. The seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. The Sabbath was not properly a feast that we're going to be studying, but it's like a feast days. It was a day set apart unto the Lord every week inside and out. And it's, we have to remember these are my feast. This is my Sabbath, says the Lord. So in verses 4 and 5, we see the very first feast called the Feast of Passover. And these are very, if I have time at the end, I'll summarize it a little bit for those who are taking notes. But it's very important you follow along with this. Because these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocation, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. You didn't get to change the dates because it didn't fit in with your your personal schedule here. This, this was a feast. Those were set by God, and this is when it was supposed to take place. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. So on that specific time, the 14th day of the first month, which is Nisan, that's the first Jewish of the Jewish calendar, the ceremonial calendar, the first month that was supposed to take place here on that 14th uh, day, 
Passover was held every year, each year. No ifs, ands, or buts. It took place. Passover, the Lord's Passover, was meant to uh, commemorate Israel's deliverance from Egypt. And God's sacrificial of the lamb, if you remember, with each family that night when the, 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 the angel was going to pass over. And if you did not have that blood on your doorpost, the firstborn of that house or an animals would die. So they were to be in there, the doorpost, and the lamb was to be slain and eaten that night and prepared because God was going to bring judgment upon those who did not follow him and were not obedient to him. And this blood of the lamb averted the judgment of God for each Israelite family, but not even just Israelite family, anyone who believed and did what God said. So I believe even a Gentile or an Egyptian family who did that was saved. Passover pictures the death of Jesus. Let me say that again. The Passover feast is a foreshadow of the picture of the death of Jesus, that perfect sacrifice on the cross. He died on which day? Passover. Jesus died on the cross at Passover. There's the linkage you need to remember. The next feast we see is verses 6 through 8, and that is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it says the 15th day. That means the day after, right? Passover was the 14th. Now the 15th of the same month of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread to the Lord, seven days you must eat unleavened bread, bread with no yeast in it. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation and you shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation and you shall do no customary work on it. So here we see this feast of the uh, unleavened bread to the Lord is a feast of unleavened bread with a week-long celebration by the people. There was a whole celebration for an entire week. Immediately following that Passover, we see that clearly in the scripture here. This feast showed the purity of Israel to walk in an un, like an illustration or an, it, for to represent that they were willing to eat this bread that has no leaven. And, it rep, and leaven represented what in the scripture? Sin. So, so seven days, a unleavened bread that represented there was no sin, no leaven in this bread. They ate it to commemorate, I, I have chosen to walk in purity with my Lord. After the blood deliverance of Passover, the blood is what cleanses. Now you have to make a decision to walk with the Lord each day in purity. You cannot walk in purity. You're not going to get your life straight until you have been forgiven by the blood washed over you. Do you understand that? So to promise a non-believer that you're going to get your life straight and get off the drugs and off the, the junk and all the anger problems in your life and you think you're promising them if they were just somehow just try a little harder, you're misleading those non-believers. You're giving them a false promise. If you, if, oh, go try this program. It'll get you right. It's a false promise. You must be cleansed by the blood 
of Jesus Christ and be washed and forgiven. Then you now can walk with the Lord and walk in purity as we see that the unleavened bread represented. The unleavened bread pictures what? The sinless Jesus, the bread of life from heaven. That's what the unleavened bread feast represents as a foreshadow of Jesus being sinless. Today, however, many people say, I don't see that in the Jewish calendar. It's because modern day Israel modified it and they do a celebration for eight days it is in, all in conjunction that Passover, the unleavened bread, and the first fruits, all those three feasts, they celebrate today as one Passover for eight days. Uh, that's how they do it now. They incorporate them all. Now, there are three of the seven feasts that we're going to talk about tonight that required a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. All Jewish males had to go to Jerusalem three times or three feasts of the seven. Let me give you those three. The first one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. All Jewish males had to travel to Jerusalem. The second one is the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. That all Jewish males had to go to, uh, to Jerusalem. And the last one is the Feast of Tabernacles the, or the Feast of Booths. That also required all Jewish males going to Jerusalem. The next feast is the Feast of First Fruits. It's verses 9 through 14. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord and to, to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath, and the priest shall wave it. You shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. It's a grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil and offering made by the fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine one-fourth of a hen and you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor uh, nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generation in all your dwellings. So the first fruits, the day following Passover's Sabbath, was a time to give the first fruits of the harvest that God gave to you as a farmer, as you were doing the uh, after the planting, there's a harvest time and you were to take those first fruits. And it was the idea was to dedicate the first ripe stalks or sheaths of barley grain was to be given to God with an anticipation of a greater harvest to come. That was the promise. I'm taking a step of faith. I am going to give you the first fruits of what you've given us, Lord, because even though I don't know what you're going to give us in the totality, I know I'm going to give you the first fruits because you have provided that much for us. And we celebrate because we know that you're going to be faithful to provide for the rest of us provisions. Are you understanding this? 
Because it even ties back to tithe, gifts, and offering. The tithe, we give our first tenth to the Lord, and we know the promise and provision of God. He's going to take care of us and our provisions with the remainder of what He will give us. Back then, it wasn't, the, it wasn't money. It was literally grain and fruits and, and the first parts of the squeezing of the wine from the, the grapes. I mean, they didn't know if the rest of the harvest was going to be there or not. But you took a step of faith and you gave it to the Lord with the anticipation of a greater harvest to come, an act of dedication to the harvest to Him. Because it's His. Now, how does that tie to as a foreshadow to Jesus. Well, the first fruits foretold of Jesus' resurrection on the third day in Luke 24, verses 44 and through 47. Jesus' resurrection is the promise of the future resurrection of you and I as believers. We see that noted in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. How do we know that God is, Jesus is coming back for us? Because the scripture says, as a foreshadow, his resurrection gives us the promise of his future resurrection of believers. He's, he's coming back for the, his bride. He's coming back for those who believe in him. We know that in the scriptures. Although most believers in Jesus have never heard of first uh, fruits or reshit is the uh, Hebrew name, then celebrate it as Resurrection Sunday or Easter. That's what we call it in the celebration. What they call first fruits, we call uh, Resurrection Sunday or Easter. The next one is we find in Leviticus 20, 23, verses 15 through 21, is the Feast of Pentecost, also called the Feast of Weeks. And it says, you shall count yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheath of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days, note that, 50 days of, to the day after the seventh uh, Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord, and you shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, they shall be baked with leaven, they are the first fruits to the Lord, and you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year, without blemish, one young bull and two rams, and they shall be as burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats of a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs, and they shall be holy to the Lord for the priests. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you, and you shall, you shall do no customary work on it, uh, and it shall be a statue forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations." So here we see that they're to count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. 50 days. 50 days after the feast of the first fruits, at the completion of the wheat harvest, Israel was to celebrate the 
feast of Pentecost by bringing a new grain offering to the Lord. And it shows the joy and the thankfulness. That's the intent. Is Now remember, all the Jewish males are flooding into Jerusalem. They're all coming to just nothing but joy and celebration for the Lord's blessing of a full harvest for them. The provision. So what does the Pentecost foretold from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Pentecost foretold the coming of the Holy Spirit in 50 days later, and we saw that at the uh, Pentecost. When God said, when Jesus to leave, it was better, even Jesus said, it was better that I leave, that the Father would send the, whole, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, that would dwell in us, that would dwell around us and dwell and, and be the power to help us to live for Christ. Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem following his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. Remember, he was on, on earth for how many days after the period of time? It was 40 days, remember? So a total of these 50 days have accumulated now. And we see they were all together in the upper room to Pente for Pentecost, or weeks of feast, uh, the Feast of Weeks, on the 50th day after the Sabbath of the Passover week. And that's when the Holy Spirit filled the house with a sound like a mighty wind in what appeared to be tongues of fire and filled the disciples. Go back and read that account in Acts chapter 2. Now, in verse 22 of chapter 23, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your, uh, from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So you can see them all celebrating. It's in 50 days and the harvest is coming in. We're going to Jerusalem. This is going to be a great party of joy. And that's all. God is so good to us. But the scripture thou says to us, the Lord says, but with provision that I give you, with what I've provided for you, by the grace and the mercy of God, I've given you a good harvest you must not think of just yourselves. You must think of those who are in need. Those who are poor. Those who are strangers walking through the strange land. They didn't have wonderful fast food places for them to get food. Now did they? They didn't have those. So what happened was, is that this, told us back in chapter 19, we studied this, verses 9 and 10, that this, it, this command, this wasn't an option. When you, clean, when you harvest from your field, you were not to get all the corners and you were not to go back through the field and find what you dropped and didn't get. You were to leave it there so that the poor and the strangers passing through could glean from that field of yours. That's how they were able to sustain themselves. That's how God provided for them. And so you're not to be greedy and get every single ear of corn and everything of grain so that no one's going to get nothing from my stuff. This is all mine. No, that's not how God has for people. You are, to, you are to give, you are to allow to, uh, people to come in onto your property and, and make sure that they could glean what they were necessary to glean from. 
And this was an appropriate reminder right after the law concerning the harvest feast of the Pentecost, right? Because they're there to celebrate. They just harvest everything. And it was a nice reminder. Now, don't take everything because other people are in need. They didn't have the government. They didn't have these programs that the federal and state and county and every everything you could think of that just gives out free things. They had to work for it. They had to take efforts and do something. It wasn't just free. It was you had to go and do the work to receive. And again, there's so many studies on the mentality of someone who is just given something versus someone who it goes out and knows that they're working and doing something for their, with their hands to, to, to earn it. There's so many studies on if you keep giving something for free, it really harms someone uh, in the long run. We see in, in chapter 23, verses 23 through 25, the Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, that you would hear normally in the news. Rosh Hashanah is taking place, which is coming up here soon. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So this feast, this feast of trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, on the first day of the month, it was referred to as Tishri. That's the name of the Jewish calendar day there. The Feast of Trumpets was held, and trumpets were blown together as they gathered the people together. The trumpets were blown for a holy convocation as a congregation. Now, during uh, Rosh Hashanah's synagogue services, we know today the shofar is blown, which is a, a ram's horn, a blown 100 times. Again, it was to everyone to hear 100 times. As a reminder, as the trumpet is out, that this has taken place and to bring people as a memorial of what God has done for his people. And it's during this time, this 10 day of repentance is what is to take place. They're literally taking 10 days of repentance. This is not a joy and celebration. Let's get together and have a nice family time together. No, this is where it's a solemn time of 10 days during this Rosh Hashanah. Started on this day, this 10th day, and ended on Yom Kippur, which we will talk about next, which makes up the high holy days of Israel. But it's during these 10 days, they are repenting. They are just literally doing whatever they do works mentality. The Israels will work. I'm going to go work and work and do good things all around because I have need to come to God because I need the covering of all the sin that I have done. So I'll work, 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 work. I'll serve, 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 serve. And I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll just, you know, pouring out and, and just literally grieving for the sin that's in their life in front of God. That took place now. And we'll see that again. Uh, in Israel, you'll see the, the Orthodox uh, Jews, you'll see the, you know, the rabbis, I mean, you'll see it in the news, the, the just lots of mourning and over sin and, and for the nation of Israel and for the people, and you'll see that in the news and you'll remember it's these 10-day holy days, and it brings them to the next feast, which is Yom Kippur, and we see that verses uh, 26 through 32, and it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
on this day of atonement, right? Also the tenth day of this seventh month shall be a day of atonement, and it shall be a holy convocation to you, and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, and you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul, if your soul, your inner person is not afflicted, that is not a good thing. You need to be afflicted in these during this period of time. On that same day shall be cut off from his people. If you're not convicted, if you're not deep within an inner soul to know that you're a sinner and needs to be covered by the blood, then cut them off. These, these, are, these, are, these are people who are not of the faith. So that's what they're really saying here. And any person who does not work on that same day, and that person I will destroy from among his people. So you, they took it serious. You don't think, oh, maybe no one will notice. I'll just whoop in here and get some work done while everyone else is going and doing their thing there on that. No, there's consequences, God said. If you try to, to, to swing that around for your benefit in some form or fashion, it'll destroy from among his people. And you shall do no matter of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath at that point. So here on that 10th day we see of the 7th month is the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And it's on that 10th day of uh, Tishiri, Tishiri that the people gathered together for a holy convocation again. But this was not a celebration or feast, but it's the end of that 10-day time period. Now they're going to afflict their souls. They're going to really just lay it all out there, humbly recognizing one's sins and need for atonement. What is atonement? At one mint. Uh, they need an atonement. They need an atonement with God Almighty. They needed that and they knew they needed to come and sacrifice. They needed to do what God said to do to meet with God at this moment. And it says you shall afflict your souls. That specific priestly procedures that we talked about previously about the Day of Atonement, if you remember was described in Leviticus 16 where this passage records the command for the people of Israel that to, they needed to lay aside a solemn day of reflection. Now in biblical times, the high priest sacrificed an animal to pay for the sins, his sins, and the sins of the people, if you remember. And it was the time of praying and fasting and seeking God for God's forgiveness. And when the high priest was finished with the atonement sacrifice, he remember he laid his hands on the head of that goat of, of representing the sins of the people and transferring on that goat. And that goat was then what? Released into the wilderness with the sins of the people transferred onto the head of that goat to represent the escape goat carried Israel's sins away and never to return. You can go back to Leviticus chapter 16 to go and refresh your memory if you hadn't, we weren't here to, to look at that. Now, bring it to the New Testament. Bring it to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Brings us to the Holy of Holies. In the temple was separated, if you remember, from the congregation by a very thick wall, a veil, from floor to ceiling. And it was entered only once a year on what day? The Feast of Yom Kippur. 
That was the feast. This feast is the only time, the Day of Atonement, that the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and to sprinkle the blood and to, 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 to cry out to God for forgiveness of the sins, the covering of the sins for the people of Israel. And when the high priest offered the blood sacrifice of atonement on behalf of the people, remember, Christ came as our high priest. When he died on the cross, what took place with that veil in the temple? It was ripped from top to bottom to no more. That we could boldly come into the throne of God. You no longer had that priestly separation. Only the high priest could do it. Why? Because Jesus is the high priest for us and he paid it all on the cross. So that veil was separated. It was gone, never to be done again. And the Holy Holies was entered by Jesus, which we refer to as heaven. He is in heaven and he's interceding for you and I. He's waiting for the call to come back and bring us to him in the clouds, to be raptured, to raptuse, to be caught up in the clouds, the groom coming back for the bride. And this all revolves around this. And no longer do you have the blood of goats or calves um, or even by his own blood. But by Jesus' blood, this was complete and taken care of. And it obtained eternal redemption. We will get to that eternal, eternal redemption conversation in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 28. Now, believers... And Jesus accepts his sacrifice on the cross as the final atonement for sin. If you accept what Jesus did for you on the cross, then you, Jesus is now allowing you to be in one with the Heavenly Father. You can boldly go to your Heavenly Father with everything and anything because you've been atonement for your sin, being justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We see that in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 25. Now we see the next one in Leviticus 23, verses 33 through 44. The next feast is the Feast of Tabernacles, or also referred to as the Feast of Booths. Sukkoth is what they call it today. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying that the fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for the seven days to the Lord. And on the first day they shall be a holy convocation, and you shall be, do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And on the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by the fire to the Lord. It is a, sac- a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering and a sacrifice and drink offerings and everything on its day. Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord, also on the fifteenth day on the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for the seven days. On the first day they shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day of the fruit of the beautiful trees and branches of palm trees, the the boughs 
of leafy trees, the willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generations, and you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. And you shall dwell in the booths for seven days. All who are native uh, Israelites shall dwell in the booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in the booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. So on the 15th day, the Jewish month of Tishri, there was a Jewish ceremonial calendar here, right? And you can go back and look at all that up if you'd like. There was a Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. This is where they would come again. They All the Jewish males would descend upon the Jerusalem. They probably didn't have a whole lot of places for them to dwell in the first place. I don't know why they didn't do this every single time. But they gathered here and they created these makeshift booths that had open so you could see the stars through them. They had all the veg- nice flowers and vegetation to make it look a little homey thing. And they had the meal in there. They fe- had a festival in there. They dwelt in that. Why? Because they wanted, God wanted it to be a reminder for generation upon generation upon generation. What? What the Lord has done. They prov- he provided for him. He protected him. He had promises for the people through the, through the wilderness and into the promised land. And he wanted the people never to forget what God had done for his people. And so this feast God set up to make sure that they never forget the promised land and, and, and the gratitude of all God had done to deliver and provide in the difficult times of their, of their wilderness experience. And how many times that should be true for us as we go through difficult times? Do not forget. Write down. Journal the difficult times that God has brought you through to remind you of what God had done in the past. He's the same God. He's going to help you through the next challenges in your life. You must write down how God brought you through those to remember and to encourage you that God is in your life. And God is going to take you through this this valley just like the 200 other valleys you've been through. But so many times when you go through a valley, it's like, this is the first time and the only time you've ever been through a valley. It's like, is this the really first time you've had ever had a test? Are you kidding me? You've had how many tests? Why are you stressing out here? God is with you. He's going to walk you through this. He also says here in this readings that we had here is that on the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest. And on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. You can see this rest, 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 rest. A celebration is a reminder of God's faithfulness and protection. But if you're always working, when do you stop and say thank you and rest in the Lord and praise Him for what He has done for you? And what He is doing through your life. You may, know, you may know this and remember this, that when Jesus attended the Feast of Tabernacles, on the last day of the feast, we see in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, it says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Oh, how beautiful of that promise of, and truth that God is giving. 
by keeping in just that relationship with Christ. If you believe the scriptures, if you don't study the scriptures, how would you know what you're believing? If you're just showing up for a social time and do a little bit of a nightclub scene in the church, you're not studying the scriptures. How do you know what your promise of and God's provision and what he says he's going to do? And if you don't believe the scriptures, your faith will get weak. You won't believe. You won't, you'll have an unbelief. And as we studied on Sunday, your heart will grow hard. You will be drifting down and you don't even know it. That's why it's so important to be in fellowship and we come to gather in whose name? God Almighty's name. In Jesus' name. We gather here in his name. We don't gather here in Calvary Chapel name. We don't gather here in, certainly by in no one else's name in this place. We gather here purely to worship our Lord. And when that happens, and we get studied in learning the scriptures, and we believe the scriptures because they're inherent. They're absolute truth. They're infallible. Do you know how many churches today and people do not believe God's word is infallible and inherent? It's truth. Take it or leave it. We don't even read it. It doesn't make sense to me these days. Do you see how important that is when God says, where Jesus says clearly, he who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There will be a refreshment from your life that will pour out, that people can partake of your life. They'll go, I don't know what it is about that man or that woman that's so refreshing to be around. Because the living water is just, you're pouring out the word of God. You're just pouring it out and the Spirit's moving through your life to touch life. Now, four minutes. Let me give you a real caption real quick. The prophetic significance of the Feast of Leviticus 23. One, structurally, the first three, uh, four verses are linked together and the last three feasts are linked together. They're separated in two different groups of feasts. The first one is the group of the first four uh, feasts relate to the work of Jesus in his first coming on his earthly ministry. Are you with me? Passover, Jesus uh, presents Jesus as his Passover as the Lamb of God who will be sacrificed. The Feast of Unleavened Bread relates time of Jesus' burial after his perfect and sinless sacrifice on the cross. The Feast of First Fruits relates to the resurrection of Jesus who was the first human to receive resurrection. He was the firstborn from the dead, Colossians 1.18. He has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then we see the Feast of Pentecost, which obviously is connected with the birth of the church and the harvest resulting we see in Acts 2. And it's a significant ceremony because these two loaves of bread that they were swinging in the air that had, had leaven in it, if you remember as when we read that, is speaking of bringing the unleavened Gentiles into the church. Verse 4 represents Jesus while he was on this earth. The last three represents and connects the second coming of Jesus. 
The first, the uh, Feast of Trumpets, speak of the ultimate assembly of God's people at the sound of a trumpet. The rapture of the church that is spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And the gathering of Israel for the special purpose that God has for them in the last days. The Day of Atonement not only speaks of the ultimate and perfect atonement that Jesus offered on our behalf, but also of the affliction and salvation that Israel will see during the Great Tribulation. And then the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths speaks of the millennial rest of comfort of God for Israel and of all of God's people. And it's all about the peace and rest from the beginning to the end. And they only find that peace in who? Jesus. The only place you'll find peace and joy and rest. We'll learn that this coming Sunday. Do not miss this coming Sunday.